Hey, I'm Aldwin. And I'm Jason. And this is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. Why I didn't get excuse me? Can you talk louder so everyone can hear you asking me about my drugs? I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. Well, how come they can say whatever they want to me? Oh, it's old talent. That don't work. I just sit on the couch. I don't want to look like I am I going to be his boyfriend. Ready? Play. Welcome, everyone, to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Aldwin. And just so you know, this is our first episode of us going weekly. What do you think, Aldwin? Exciting. So exciting. Yeah, people have told us, you know, probably three or four of them, how thirsty they are <laughs> to hear us to hear us every week. So here we are. I think it's more of us having so much content that we're like just going to churn it out on a week to week basis. Yes, actually, that's more accurate. We have realized that there's despite no tennis going on, there's a lot to discuss and a lot to digest. And we want to be your voices. Yes, we do. Yeah. We want to be your voices, and we are the voices to the five people that are listening to us on the regular. <laughs> <laughs> five people on Spotify. We have more on Apple. We do. We yeah. do. Yeah. So speaking of voices, we want to talk a little bit about all the stuff that's going on with Black Lives Matter. But first, I'll, I'm going to give a bit of an update on Potgate. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with cannabis. It's just the little injury that I had last week putting a pot onto a lower shelf in my condo. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes these things happen. Sometimes you play tennis and everything is fine. And after you play tennis, you try to put a pot away and everything goes apeshit. It goes to hell. Yeah. So... I was in throbbing pain until about Tuesday. It's gotten a little bit better. Saw my Cairo. Um, continues to improve. I expect to hopefully be on the court with you at East York uh, end of next week. Fabulous. So it honestly, when you injured yourself last week and you said that you were out for two weeks, I'm like, oh my God, he's probably out for a little bit longer because he wants to be safe with his recovery. But that's good news. Like I was texting you all through the week and you're like, oh, today is a 30% improvement and today is a 5% improvement. So I'm like, okay, well, bitch, get to 100% so we can <laughs> we can start playing. Yeah, it was uh, not good the first few days. Like I literally could not move. And uh, full disclosure, I had to put one of our bar stools in front of the toilet when I was doing my business. I see. Because <laughs> it was gingerly getting up and down from there. <laughs> That's okay. Whatever you need to do to make that movement happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that I can get back to the movement on the court. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Really good connections and segues. <laughs> <laughs> no, speaking of movement, you... Uh, played in my absence at East York, which opened this week. Was it this week? It opened on Monday. Um, I played with Ryan, who is another uh, Toronto tennis friend, um, Rafa Lover. And um, very similar to how other courts have opened 
um, East York allows for online booking for an hour and the court manager, you know, will, will do an attendance on the hour before they let the new players on. Um, you have to make sure you have your own balls, that they're marked. Remember our whole thing about like, you cannot touch anyone else's balls. And um, yeah, that first hour session with Ryan was really good. I mean, first of all, it was nice to play on a regular court and not on concrete. Um, that was a plus. And um, a lot of the East York gays were out. So Jeffrey and Edsel were right next to us. And, you know, Jeffrey being the um, Sanchez Vicario of our tour was getting all the balls back. And Edsel was just slamming those forehands left, right, and center. So, yeah, it was, it was really, really nice. I think we're all going to have to get used to um, not having that social aspect of, like, hanging out at the clubhouse or even using the washroom so it's more like an, an an in and out scenario yeah and you have to book in advance through an online system versus using those shoe clips that we would use last year so awkward like yeah. the shoe clips and you were like okay well i think i was here first so i'm gonna put my little clip on the time but people would like shove you out of the way so you're like you know what girl now that it's online everything is like n neat as a whistle yeah yeah, no, that's good. Um, I do have a bit of a surprise. Ooh. Um, I don't think I've told you this, but since we moved weekly, it also coincides with us securing our first sponsor. What? Yeah, and they gave me the first read for our show. Not I'm like um, RuPaul's read, but oh. an ad read. An ad read. I'm yeah. so I'm so I'm so curious. Yeah, so I'm really excited. I'll I'll do the ad read right now. Okay. So have you been at home for two and a half months doing yoga, walking around the block, <laughs> the same freaking trail, thinking, you, <laughs> thinking you'd get right back on the tennis game? Are you back on the court now and struggling to get your blubbering ass back to the tee <laughs> or the middle of the court, as they call it? Well, our sponsor has a solution for you. Try footwork. <laughs> footwork is the tool you forgot you needed to get back in the game footwork will offer you an opportunity to get a wide variety of balls back um, and get you destined to your pre-quarantine level in just seven days or less or your money back order within the next seven days and receive the shuffle and split steps absolutely free just pay separate <laughs> shipping and handling visit footwork.com and use the promo code ReadyPlay to get 15% off your order. Isn't oh, that great? That is so amazing. Like, yeah. can I have, I need a lifetime subscription to Footwork. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we all do. Um, if any of you were unclear that that's not a real sponsor, <laughs> uh, it is not. I created that using Aldwin's own words from his last. Yeah, my, his my, last, fa yeah. my, my favorite from last week was getting my blubbering ass back to the tea. <laughs> <laughs> all true. you need, all you need is footwork. Yes, all you need is footwork. Honestly, all, all anyone ever needs to play tennis is just to move your feet and be at the ball, truthfully. Yeah, yeah I'm remembering you uh, standing on that platform in Indy, bouncing <laughs> back and forth as a symbolic gesture to tell me to move my feet. I know I was I was trying to psychically send the message to you like girl move your feet psychically or just like oh, bouncing uh, around <laughs> <laughs> well psychically didn't work and then I was like you know what this bitch is not getting it so let me just start jumping around to give him the message <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Speaking of message. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the world. There is a lot going on in the world. I mean, to take a little bit of a serious um, tone, um, we are aware now that we have a platform that there is social unrest in the United States. There's obviously social unrest here in Canada, but we wanted to spend a very um, a little bit of time talking about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, in tennis, in the world of tennis, a lot of people have come out in support for Black Lives Matter, um, particularly in light of the police brutality that's been happening in the U.S. over the past month or so. And just to highlight a couple of players, um, Coco Goff, she was at a Black Lives Matter protest in Delray Beach. And, you know, she was upset that, you know, as a youngin, as a young tennis player, that she was protesting exactly the same things that her grandmother was protesting back in the 50s and 60s. Um, and I mean, I think it's important to remember that in tennis, we have had a couple of um, black pioneers, Althea Gibson, one Wimbledon, um, and Arthur Ashe as well, one, in w one Wimbledon. And um, yeah, I just think it's important for all, like, Tennis is a sport that represents everybody, and um, we definitely stand in solidarity with, um, with that community. Um, TFO, for example, um, Francis, you heard about what he did, right? Yeah, he did a whole video, and we shared it on our social media, the Put Your Racket Down, um, yes. and it included a series of um, black tennis players um, from today and yesterday, yeah. um, participating and, and putting their racket down and putting their hands up. In yes. solidarity. So. so all that to say, um, if actually you're really curious, you can um, search on Instagram. The hashtag is rackets down hands up. Um, a lot of players, again, as Jason mentioned, came to his support for that particular movement. Um, but we just wanted to say now that we have a platform that we support the movement and we just hope that the civil unrest in the United States finally changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are looking for some change um and it's you know some of these issues have happened more recently but they've been going on for years and years and years and people are fed up and yeah. you know as the caucasian person on this show um i've i think it's important that we you know we're you and i are, are sort of gay so we understand what it means to be yes. an ally and to receive that allyship so that now it's sort of that's sort of our turn to give that back um, and just listen and be thoughtful and amplify those voices so yes. that's what we are trying to do by sharing some of this today yeah fabulous mm -hmm. and speaking of um i guess the french open and uh, a black player who made an impact and who's the last male French <laughs> Open winner. We did a little story. Um, so we're getting into a bit of our social stuff. Uh, we did a little story to honor Yannick Noah, who won the French Open 37 years ago. And I remember when I was there in 2016 and I saw that sort of um, poster image emblazoned where he's on the ground, on the clay, on his knees with sort of the joy of having won. I you sort of get those those chills yeah of like what it must feel like to win a grand slam and and win a grand slam in your home country so i wanted to do a little bit of honoring him by by doing that story that i did yeah he um he beat the defending champion didn't he in the final Mats or Vilander, yeah 
Like yeah. that's in straight that, sets. That is like no small task. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you carry the weight of an entire country on your shoulders. You play the defending champion and you come through. Like that's really big for French tennis. Yeah. And so big it hasn't happened since on the men's <laughs> side. <laughs> but kudos to Yannick. Kudos to Yannick. Um so um equivalently, is that even a word? It is now. <laughs> um I actually corrected Jason on his um, story. I mean, it was a minor correction, but in fact, the last French person to win a uh, singles champion was one of my faves of all time, Mary Pierce. She made a run at the French Open in 2000, and um, she kind of first burst on the scene in, in terms of the French Open in 94. Um, 94 was coming off a year where Steffi Graf had won essentially like every possible slam every possible tournament and st- and Mary came into that French Open 94 semifinal against Graf and just bludgeoned her two and two to death and there were such high hopes for like the French fans that she would win in that final but she lost to Sanchez Vicario but she came back in 2000 and I actually read an interview um, that Mary gave about her first round win um, in 2000 and she said that after her first round win, she kind of had a voice in her head and she said, you know what, this could be my year. And, you know, round one, she progressed until the quarters where she had a very daunting task uh, facing Celis, who is who is at the time essentially like the French Open clay queen. Like no one could beat Celis on clay, but she beat her in the quarters. Um, again, in the semis, she faced Hingis, who just like Graf in 94, was having a on-fire year. Like, she had won all of the slams. Um, she had won so many slams and just a huge favorite to win that. And um, Pierce beat her in straight in three sets, if I'm not mistaken. And then Conchita Martinez, Spaniard, grew up on clay. Beat her. Just beat her. And I remember watching that final. She beat her, I think, 6-2-7-5. And just like you had mention when you see the image of Yannick on his knees like in just pure elation like what a what like a load off your shoulders for Mary to win for the French people I mean her mom is French yes her dad is American if you don't know Jim who was like the crazy father was like screaming at her from the stands but yeah regardless she's French she won the women's French open singles final and and wait for it drum roll please did you know that she also won the doubles? Yes, against Martina. And what was so interesting when I was doing some research this week and I saw an article on the best players to never win the French Open is that Martina was one of those people. So she had so many chances to win and her doubles partner took her out at probably one of her last opportunities to win it. Yeah, I mean, a little quick note, Martina Hingis in 97, like that was her year. She started, she was like, seven years old or something started winning all of the slams and she was like in in vegas you would have put all your money on the hingis maioli final but yeah my only maioli took it and that was her only slam win Mm -hmm. and then mary pierce took her away out in the semis mary pierce was part of that generation of big babe tennis so lindsay tavenport mary pierce monica sellis and she is honestly my second favorite tennis player. I became obsessed with her. And then, you know, again in 2005, she, after injuries and all of that 
on all of that. She came back to the French Open and made another run to the final. So, And she's been um, cataloging through her Instagram the, mem- the memories because it's the 20th anniversary of her win. If you can do simple math and realize that she won <laughs> in 2000 and it is now 2020. And so you, you, you know, wanted to honor your second favorite player. We won't tell her that <laughs> <laughs> by doing your own Instagram story and what had happened. And ex- what, what had happened? I was so obsessed with her that I was, I took her Nike. I don't know. I, I don't think I ever told you this story, but for, our grade eight art project, we had to do, um, we had to choose an, um, an inspiration, a sport inspiration. And she had done a Nike ad um, after her French open, open win. And I chose her. And I did like a beautiful black and white charcoal portrait. <laughs> <laughs> in, for your art class? For my art class. And I put it up in my room. Next Did, to my Steffi Graf poster. <laughs> was she car- <laughs> was she carrying the French Open trophy in your t- charcoal drawing? No, it was like a it was like a close up of her face and like all of her sweat and it, you know Nike does these like you know just do it like determination grit and uh, yeah that was up in my room for a long long time. Where is it now? Uh, probably in a bin in, in my oh, dad's no. place. Oh no! Oh, we'll have to pull that out at some point when. Yeah, that's we what can get said. there to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so <laughs> the the long and the short of this long Mary Pierce story is, you did a social media story right. on Instagram. That's yeah. right, and um, you know we like to let everybody know who's been kind of taking a peek at our stories and um, Mary. Like the the story that I posted was about six or seven stories long. And Mary watched every single one. Now, I th- could she have replied with a heart or a little smile or a little comment? She could have, but she didn't. But she definitely watched all of our little videos on her, our tribute mm-hmm. to her. Yeah, and what was that slide where you used the word areola? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she, was, I, she was the first, first French woman in the open areola. Areola. To Areola. Win. And for those of you who didn't listen to our last episode, Alduin said era <laughs> in era and said Areola, even though era is his last name. <laughs> <laughs> That's That joke was so multi-layered. <laughs> <laughs> so she saw him use the word Areola yes. as, as a reference to our last episode and probably did not get the joke. I hope she did. I mean, I think Mary's with it. Come on, Mary. It, you you could. I'm sure you had a little chuckle to yourself. Yeah, yeah. I perhaps perhaps <laughs> perhaps she listened to the last episode, saw the story, and she had a little chuckle. She's like, "Oh my God, Aldwin said Ariola accidentally." <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of some of our followers, we so we have a few. What we've learned about Instagram is that you can pay to view stories through your account, but not actually view them. And we do have some tennis people doing that. So we're going to call you out right now. We're going we're gonna to call you out. I, I do want to just kind of preface this by saying when Jason and I first made our IG live, I remember very distinctly, you know, um, messaging him, calling him and be like, girl, did you see who looked at our stories? I was like, oh my God, Serena. Oh my God, this person. Oh my God, that person. And then 
I just found it a bit suspicious that whenever Jason and I would post a story, let's say, for example, our story was four or five stories long, that these famous, quote unquote, tennis players, well, I mean, they're not, they're not, quote unquote, (laughs) they're tennis players, but famous tennis players, famous coaches, they were only viewing the last story of our series. And then I did a little research and I I think that they're bots. It's a marketing strategy that you pay for yeah. in your account. In yeah. your account. So, you know, you see a famous tennis player slash coach uh, watching your story. You're going to add them because, you know, that's kind of like what you do on IG. And, uh, yeah, they accrue more followers. And you think that you're getting a kind of famous person watching your, your stories. Mm-hmm. So let's call them out. You remember yeah. who they are? Well, yeah, I think this person who is a former player and now is a coach of Maria Sakari, mm-hmm. Tom Hill, is one of those people. Now, we want you to follow us <laughs> organically. We want you to like our stuff, like our stories, maybe listen to our show, maybe come on our show. Yeah. Don't just don't just look at the tail end of our Instagram stories through your marketing ad buy. Just don't do it. Yeah, Tom, I thought we had something special. Mm-hmm. I I thought that you were watching us and, you know, really engaged with our podcast, our IG, but to find out that you're possibly a bot is like really so so sad. Mhm. And we do have a couple of players. We uh do. one WTA we're Crossing the full spectrum, WTA player, <laughs> an ATP player, and a coach. So on the WTA, we have Natalia Vikilienseva. Did I do you, that right? You, you did a good job. Yes. So she uh, previously reached a high, I believe, of number 57 on the mm-hmm. WTA tour, and she's currently within the frozen rankings of 129. 129. And when I saw her first watch our story... I did, I was so excited. I did some research, watched her YouTube match highlights with against Kerber, I believe in Miami last year. And I was ready to just be like, this is our first WTA player that's supporting our podcast. But alas, <laughs> not so much. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. So Natalia, <laughs> nah. why don't you just follow us, like us, subscribe and share. You could Sharing do that. is caring. You could do that. I was mm-hmm. I was so ready to share with the world how beautiful I think your game is, your backhand, your forehand, you know, your footwork. Did did you use that promo code? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, support our sponsors. And uh, the, who's the ATP player? I've never heard of this guy before. Quentin Halles. Yes. I don't know if that's pronounced right. He's a French ATP player currently ranked 194. Yeah. You know, like... I don't know. It, we we just well, how about this? How about we will personalize a message to you with a little teaser clip that we've been doing since the beginning of our podcast, just to give you a taste of how amazing and how funny we think we are. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you will feel the same way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we you know we're trying to keep people engaged and and do authentic. Th- posts and and share ourselves organically with the world um you know the last thing we can say on this is there's there's more people following us and it ends up being like sexy girls who have really (laughs) really dirty things to say and those are the those are just the instagram accounts that are our fake (laughs) accounts 
maybe we do have a little niche following of girls that like to do not so you know yeah well crazy things in the bed maybe (laughs) yeah yeah but i think everybody gets that it's not just us so we shouldn't feel special about that (laughs) (laughs) um other things that are in the news yes so many so many things yeah so we're we're actually just going to talk about two because there are so many things so many players with so many opinions Uh, But we're going to talk about two things. So there is some live tennis coming up. Um, Why don't we talk about that first? So the ultimate tennis showdown, you and I sort of both looked into this, but I think maybe you looked into a bit more. So I'm going to let you take it over. All right. Well, okay. Clearly we are in a situation where, um, you know, the regular tennis ATP tour is not is not happening. So. Um, I always have difficulty pronouncing this guy's name. What's his name? Patrick Patrick Moradoglu. Patrick Moradoglu, um, you know, famed coach. Uh, he thought of this idea, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, as an offering to tennis fans around the world that would keep players, you know, playing and would reach tennis fans so that everyone has their dose and fix of tennis action. And um, the difference here is that. Uh, with Ultimate Tennis Showdown, obviously there's going to be no fans, but it's essentially a group of 10 players, mm-hmm. and um, uh, there's going to be two ranked in the top 10, four ranked in the top 30, two next-gen players, which I think is really interesting, and two ranked inside of the top 150 that will participate in kind of a round-robin format um, every week. So I believe starting in June sometime, there will be matches happening on the weekend. Um, There is going to be prize money involved. um, But I think the interesting note about this Ultimate Tennis Showdown that's different um, is that what its its desire is, is to reach fans in a different way. So there's going to be more relaxed rules. Fans are able to hear conversations on the court and also um, conversations between players and their coaches. Um, Apparently, they're going to have the stadiums filled with digital screens so that fans can send questions for players to answer on changeovers and for players to see like live interactions, reactions from their fans. So it's an interesting take on tennis during this time of Covidova. Mm-hmm. COVID of <laughs> exactly. What way to bring it back? What, I mean, what? Well, okay, I, here's my thing. I honestly was reading about it. I am a tennis purist. I've tried to have more flexibility in terms of what tennis is going to look like until we have a vaccine. But what's your like, girl? What's your take on this? So, yeah, it is going to be interesting. I do. I'm not gonna lie. I do want to tune into it and. One one question before I give my opinion. So the matches are going to happen over several weeks, but the actual tournament is only happening over one weekend. So these matches aren't always going to be live, correct? Um, I'm I'm actually not sure about that. I mean, okay. I think I think they're going to try to maybe have marquee matches. Um, those are the ones that are going to be live. I don't know if all of them will be live. Gotcha. So for me, it's hard to know how the players are going to engage in all of this additional opportunity to interact and and play with fans during who might be able to engage with the players on the court not knowing also what 
the purse is or what the prize money opportunity is for the players it's hard to know how seriously they're going to um, take the matches or the competition for me until i see it it still feels a bit uh exhibitiony mm-hmm. i have attended um exhibition events uh for tennis at you know the Scotiabank arena uh you know i saw serena play um Radwanska and Raonic play andy murray and you know while it's it's good and it's entertaining and uh, they try to play to the crowd a bit. I prefer the competition over the exhibition. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, you and I have been messaging back and forth about all of these exciting historical matches that we've been watching just to keep our tennis fix up. And as I mentioned before, like the element of having, I know it's not possible to have fans right now or they're working on a way to in- incorporate fans during this time, but the crowd and watching the camera pan back at like the massive stadium that's that that to me is what makes the match extra exciting you know mm-hmm. all of the things that are on the line so i'm going to keep an open mind i mean I, i'll i think we should watch a couple matches what do you think yeah and then we can give our our feedback <laughs> yeah yeah some constructive feedback and maybe they'll take our feedback and improve well we'll ask footwork to come yeah. with us yeah and we'll bring a we'll bring them a new sponsor so they can increase <laughs> the purse and increase the competition so one of the things that we wanted to talk about as well was this idea of combining the u.s open with the cincinnati open so some of you who don't follow tennis very closely will know that there's a U.S. hardcourt season. It also includes the Rogers Cup in Montreal, which Aldwin, you and I can agree that's not going to happen this year. <laughs> no, not going to happen, unfortunately. Sorry, Armando. I know you're a volunteer team lead and you were assigned that this year, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen, my friend. Next time, Next sweetie. Time. Um, so, but there have been talks about moving the Cincinnati tournament to the U.S. Open site and having those two events happen back to back so that the players can be in one spot um, and they can successfully run those two events. Um, I'm going to say it again, back to back. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, you know, obviously having them back to back limits the travel that players have to do and also keeps, you know, the players and their entourage safe um, in terms of, you know, just minimizing, um, whatever all of the travel that they would have to do if they were in separate venues um i think it's going to be interesting i mean so many things pop up in my mind in terms of like the preparation for a grand slam i mean during a normal year you would have tournaments that would lead up to you know the masters the masters kind of being like key um points in the year for top players to figure out where they are in terms of their level and their preparation for the slams and having you know a masters and then a slam back to back i mean first of all are i i do believe that the top players because of the resources that they have will probably be better prepared like you look at a player outside of the top 100 maybe you're not participating in things like we just mentioned like the ultimate tennis showdown so what is their preparation going to look like um I was going to say that what I think I'm looking most forward to is how broadcasters like ESPN and NBC are going to cover um, 
you know, the potential of having Cincy and U.S. Open back to back? Like, are they going to go into the stories of how, you know, Fed and Joko and Rafa have been preparing? Because it's going to have to, like, these players are going to have to refigure out how to prepare for a possible, you know, slam win. Mm -hmm. And then a slam followed by another slam in quick succession. Masters, slam, and slam. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously clay and hardcourt are different. And, you know, the both tours have built, you know, the tournaments in such a way where there are prep, prep tournaments before the big French and the U.S. Opens. So how could you go from hardcourt and then go to clay mm-hmm. like that's that's cray cray yeah that's I, clay that's clay cray, cray. cray. <laughs> <laughs> i did see an article though where there was discussion of perhaps having i think it was like madrid and rome rescheduled so that there could mm. be a bit of a clay court season and i can't remember if it was going to precede the scheduled french open or or follow after so that there was a more substantial sort of clay court season in the fall but you know that kind of messes up with with what would typically be going on in in asia with the japan tournament and the shanghai tournament and you know they're pretty clear of the covid so yeah well i mean think about it if they decide to have madrid and rome back to back before the french open i mean necessarily that would push the french open into freaking halloween time yeah like it would be cold you lived in france Girl, I was going to say, I moved I moved to France, you know, in in September. So I know what it's like in Paris in October. Et puis, il fait très froid. (laughs) (laughs) Très froid, yes. I do think it'll be interesting, as you mentioned, to see how uh, this, if it moves forward with like this Cincy US Open idea, how it is sort of produced as an event from a television perspective, because it's the only thing we'll have you can't you won't necessarily be able to buy tickets i don't think they're going to allow that unless they they have this intention to you know sell 30 to 40 percent of the seats in the in the stadiums Um, right that i mean that could be possible i mean things like uh, disney world uh, are are opening up so but again you're in a confined space with fans the roof could be closed. You can't have a full stadium without a vaccine. It's not. I, yeah, I want to. You know, I'm. I want to know what Mary Carrillo and John McEnroe have to say about all of this. Yeah, we need to get John. If you're listening, <laughs> Mary, if you're listening, <laughs> come on our show. We know you go on other podcasts. Don't go on Patrick's podcast. Come on our podcast, John. Yeah, let us let us know what you think about this whole hot mess of a year. Mm-hmm. And who's going to who's going to end up number one at the end? (laughs) Uh, Speaking of number one, we're going to end today by talking about one of our number one GLTA events. And it just won a GLTA award for best large tournament team. Go Tim Ross. It did. Hold on. It did. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was all over the GLTA. So Montreal won the best large tournament Uh. and. Motor City Tennis Classic, or as you called it, Motor Tennis City Classic, won (laughs) Best Large Tournament Team. So that speaks to Tim and all of the folks around him who plan and organize that event. I I think before we dive into the (laughs) MCTC. Yes, well done. um, 
big congratulations go out to the Montreal team. Um, you guys do a phenomenal job, and I'll just leave it at that. One of the most entertaining, I think, the most entertaining entertaining banquet of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's thoroughly entertaining. <laughs> uh, but we'll talk about that, you know, when it comes around the time that tournament was supposed to happen, because all of them are are canceled, sadly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Detroit the Detroit Open, that's easier for me to remember <laughs> instead of MCTC. Like I it's kind of like an easy tournament for us Torontonians to play cuz it's literally just across, you know, across the ways a couple hours um by car. Um when when did you play the first time? I can't remember if it was 2016 was my first year. I definitely have played the last 3, so 2017, 18 and 19. Uh, mm. But I can't remember if I played 2016 or not. I'm actually going to pull it up. I, you know, I, surprisingly, when I started playing the GTA, GT, GLTA tournaments, I didn't include Detroit as one of those tournaments that I would play. So, you know, I played it, I think, for the first time in 2017. And I was introduced to the whole ritual of, you know, booking that that hotel. Mm-hmm. The Westin. Uh, the Westin that has been so good to us for the past couple of years. Um, the banquet being back at the Westin in that um, in that kind of open space room with all those drinks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the upstairs of <laughs> and, the hotel and all the drinks. Yes, and the the actual courts. I forget what the name of the courts are. Do you remember? Oh no! Oh, we should have we should have prepared for this. Um, That's yeah. It's a it's They're, a very nice tennis club. They the, honestly the facilities are incredible. Like you've got a gym. Um, the viewing I think is the best part because a lot of the GLTA tournaments unfortunately don't have a really good you know viewing area for spectators. But you've got like comfy couches. You can lean on you know those wooden ledges and watch your friends play and you know your friends in the quarterfinals having a weird WTA scoreline like <laughs> Jason did against Shaheen <laughs> and then against Mark Canterbury and, again, and then against Mark Canterbury which was your like that was your breakout no this was a, a follow-up to the year before where you had made a couple finals I made the final in Detroit in 2018 but my first final was in Indy in 2017 correct oh yeah so yeah that was just kind of showing your consistency on the tour Mm -hmm. yeah i started to you know find my groove in that b thing and full disclosure we love tim ross and we love him so much that i allowed him to be my first glta match win (laughs) i beat him at the cgo that That he was my first win I mean, aside, yes, Tim Ross, aside from being your first victim, (laughs) um, is like just an incredible organizer and above an organizer, just like a big, beautiful sweetheart Mm -hmm. and always makes us feel so, so welcome. He he always like gives me a nice, juicy hug whenever I see him again. Yeah. And he he knows that I'm from nearby in Windsor. So he always makes me feel like I'm at home and that I'm part of the family because I basically feel like. I'm from Detroit because I live five minutes from there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it's the Franklin Athletic Club. Franklin Athletic Club. A little plug. Just, yeah, keep on doing what you've been doing because you guys have been such great hosts. So what's your favorite memory of <laughs> oh, uh, of 
Motor City, Motor Tennis City Classic. <laughs> so my favorite memory happened in 2017. So 2017 was the year that Jason and I got real serious about tennis. We hired a coach. Um, we played a couple of times a week during the winter. And that was the year that I really, again, made a re- I'm making a reference to another favorite player of mine, Peng Shuaid, my way deep into a couple draws. Um, my favorite memory was my semifinal against Shelby. Right. Now, Shelby, I believe, is from Indy. She was or she is an NCAA player. I mean, I presume she's not anymore if she, unless she's doing the six-year program of university. <laughs> well, so she, she's moved on. She was a former NCAA player. And I was so proud of myself because I had gotten through a couple of really tough matches in the A draw to reach the semifinals. And I was like, this is my chance, girl. I'm going to win an A tournament. But Shelby had different plans. Yeah, that girl beat you. She, she beat you hard. She was just, I hit the ball. I could hit the ball anywhere. And she was just slamming the ball anywhere she wanted, like forehand, backhand. And I remember I was down love six, love four. And (laughs) Shelby had (laughs) like love six, love four, like a throw in the towel. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And I remember she had a legion of fans behind me, I guess other indie tennis people. And, you know, I hit a ball and she hit a winner. Her, her like 900th, 99th <laughs> winner. And her legion of fans behind me were like, yeah, Shelby, you hit that ball. And I turned around and I was like, are you for real? Girl, I'm I'm losing love six, love four. And you're calling your girl out for hitting a winner? Like, come on now. And then I've I've... I've since then become friends with 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 her legion of fans or whatever. But I just thought that that was funny that they just were like, okay, we're gonna add salt to the wound and just like, you know, just kill him, kill him to the ground. Keep the pressure on, Shelby. Keep the pressure on. Yes, but you, exactly. that was a a deep run for you. And I have to give you kudos for creating a verb out of one of your favorite players, Punk Schweig. <laughs> what is that? I got Punk Schweig. No, you, or you you're. You you punctuated your way through the draw. <laughs> she should be happy to be used as a verb in that way. And by punctuated, I don't mean um, trying to coerce my doubles partner into um, not being my doubles partner at Wimbledon, so I could play with someone better. <laughs> <laughs> she got she got in trouble for that, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I played my, the first time in 2017, and it was a deep, deep shite show that year i I lost (laughs) to i think a guy from from spain like one and two i i remember yeah and then i happened to get to play him also in doubles and we lost like love and one and so my tournament ended fairly quickly that year that was the the year i started playing better in b 2017 but that was the tournament that i did not play well at all and then 2018 was where I made made the final. And I think one of my favorite memories from last year was when we uh, we were playing really well in doubles, and we had that match uh, against those boys whose names are slipping my mind at the moment. But I remember feeling my forehand in that match. Yes, you were you were playing so well. You're you're I re, I do remember that match. Those guys are so good. V- so uh, like amazing and so i was like okay you know what 
we've got a bit of an uphill battle here, but Jason definitely played up, and I was a big poo-poo head. Yeah, and I, you know, at that time wasn't fully confident in my double skills. Um, so I was definitely feeling a bit of a need to to have your sort of coaching and advice on the court. But in that particular match, I sort of felt comfortable and got really into the competition. And it was Michael and Jeff that we played. That's right. Yeah. Um, what was the scoreline for that? We lost 7-6-6-3. And that first set was tight and we got into a tie break. And I remember they sort of um, were increasing their level and ours was slightly going down in that second set and that's why we lost it's you know it's what we say to each other every single time we have a very close match yeah do you know what we say do you know what you say <laughs> it's always a point here or there <laughs> it's true a point here or there can determine the whole match yeah. well it does determine the whole match <laughs> and that's going to be the spin-off podcast that we start a point here that's, or there <laughs> that's right um speaking of one of our favorite people Mm-hmm. We have we have a friend. We had well, we met a guy. I think it, I met him first in Indy. Um, his name is Chance Connolly, and um, we became really good friends with him at that tournament a couple years ago. And we just wanted to share that Chance um, has recently passed, but we wanted to um, just share that he was an incredible not only an incredible player, he was like an open player. He would um, come out with his friend Kyle and practice on the courts. You know, um, when we we arrived, he would always be there practicing with him. And he was just a lovely person to be around. And one of the reasons why I and Jason, I'm sure I can speak for him, love GLTA tournaments so much because of the friendship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just wanted to share how much we miss him. Yeah, I mean, we were having a little chat with Kyle to just make sure, um, as his friend, that it would be okay to chat about uh, Chance and say how much we enjoyed him as a person. And as Alduin said, the GLTA is is really uh, about the people and the friendships and the connection as much as it is about the competition. And, you know, I'll always remember... Um, chatting with him and and getting to sort of connect and and him warming up with me when we I I played in Cincinnati and it was my first A tournament after making the final in in Montreal and B never winning in B but getting bumped up to A anyway um but yeah Chance was always sort of a nice guy and he was super great player so I always get intimidated playing players that I know are better than me and making sure I keep the ball in and making sure you know, even if we're warming up to have a consistent rally, but I think he was always willing to uh, to warm up with people. And and as you said, uh, a couple of years in a row, you and I go to, would go to Detroit early and arrive at Franklin to to warm up. And he and Kyle always came sort of at the same time or shortly after us and used the corpus at us. And we were each warming up for our forthcoming tournament. So. <laughs> Yeah, we would have, you know, aside from the tennis, you know, when we were off the courts, we would, you know, oftentimes be sitting on the couches and have a little like kai kai about RuPaul's drag race or, you know, about like how he's doing in school with his nursing. So, yeah, we miss him. Mm-hmm. We miss him. Yeah. So, rest in peace, Chance. Um, I think we're going to end on that, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Giving another, our respect. Another... Another podcast in the books. Mm-hmm. 
with that, see you later. We'll see you soon. <laughs> see you next week. See you next week, people. Hey, it's your serve. If you love this episode, be sure to give us a five-star review. And don't forget to share it with others and let them know what all the racket's about. See what I did there? And don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. See ya!